Welcome to Legacy Christian Church. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and we invite you to open your Bibles as Pastor Shane brings the word. If you have a Bible, open up to Ruth chapter 4. We have been in this series called Redemption, where we have been looking at one of the most unlikely stories in all of Scripture. So far, we have met these characters, Ruth and Naomi. Naomi is this woman from the town of Bethlehem. She's an Israelite, and her and her husband leave their hometown during a famine. They go out into the land of Moab. Moab was these people who had descended from uh, uh, sexual sin. They they were originally from the line of Abraham. They were Lot, uh, Abraham's nephew's descendants, but uh, through, through incest and sexual sin, they had become this completely separate nation that the Israelites hated. They, they saw them as these, uh, these deviants, these sinners, these outsiders. And so uh, Naomi and her husband start living there with their two sons. Their two sons meet women of Moab and marry them, which they were not supposed to do. You weren't supposed to uh, delineate the line of Abraham by marrying with these outsiders, but they do. Then all of the men in the family suddenly pass away within a short span of time. And so Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And Ruth, uh, Naomi says, go live your life. Go, you're free. You, you fulfilled your commitment to my sons, your husbands. They are, they've passed on. Go live your lives. And, and one of them leaves. But Ruth says, no, wherever you go, I am going to stay with you. And so Ruth and Naomi return to Israel. They go back to Bethlehem now that the famine is over. But what are they going back to? In this society, you know, the, the women were not treated as equals with the men. They weren't allowed to own the land. They weren't allowed to, to take care of themselves. They weren't allowed to do all of these things. And so they were going back to this destitute life where their land was going to be auctioned off, where they were going to live out their lives as widows who were gleaning from fields, just hoping to eat the scraps. And what we learned is that this story was taking place in the time of Judges, but the book is likely, likely written much later. It's written at a time in Israel's history where Israel has just experienced exile. They've been kicked out of their home country. They've lost their land. They've spent decades living uh, among the Gentiles, and they are now coming back to Israel after the exile. And so the story is a metaphor for what the people of Israel could expect when they came back to their homeland. The story is a metaphor of God's relationship with his people. And so Naomi comes to represent the, the Israelite people and Ruth, the, the Gentiles, the rest of the world. They come back to Israel and, and they, uh, Ruth starts gleaning in a nearby field and she meets the master of the field and his name is Boaz and he's this incredibly generous and nice person who's heard about her and, and all the wonderful things she's doing. And she realizes that he is a relative of the family that she had married into. And so he can do this practice called being a kinsman redeemer. In this period in Israel's history, if a man passed away, it was the responsibility of another man in his family to basically step in and fulfill, uh, fulfill the void that he left behind. That man was to marry his wife and, and buy his property and uh, protect the family and provide for them and uh, provide offspring that would carry on the lineage. And so Ruth realizes this man can be their redeemer. This man is their hope for, for them having a life and a future. And so Ruth goes to Boaz and says, will you marry me and redeem me? And he says, yes, but there's one hiccup in the plan. There's someone who has a closer relationship. There's someone who has the first right of refusal. And so if he wants to, he gets to redeem you. 
And this is where we're set up in chapter 4. Ruth is waiting to find out how this is going to play out. And what I love about this book is that not only is Ruth one of the most unlikely stories in Scripture, right? How many books of the Bible are named after Gentile women and, and, and Moabite widows nonetheless? She, she's such an unlikely protagonist for a book of the Bible. But on top of that, this book has one of the greatest twist endings in all of Scripture. We're going to get to the end of the book today, and those last couple of verses would have hit the original audience like a ton of bricks. If you've ever seen a movie with a great twist ending, you sit there in the theater and you go, oh, whoa, that changes everything that I just experienced. Somehow, uh, my wife Rachel had gone her whole life without having the ending of The Sixth Sense spoiled for her. And so we, a couple years ago, like maybe a year or two ago, we sat down and watched it. And she knew there was a twist, but she didn't know what it was. And so halfway through, she's like, was that the twist? And I was like, sure. Yeah, if you don't know how this ends, then yes, I'm not going to spoil that for you. And we got to the end and she was like, whoa, what? <laughs> and, and so then when you watch a movie like that, you're like, well, let's watch it again. Let's start from the beginning because now that recontextualizes the entire story. It changes the meaning of everything that came before it. And so this story has one of the greatest twist endings in all of scripture. It's going to all come together and it's going to become clear why this book was included in the Bible. We pick up in Ruth 4.1 where Boaz goes to meet the other relative who could be the Redeemer. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Boaz says, hey, come here, cousin. Uh, you, you know... Naomi, who was married to our, you know, second or third cousin, uh, Elimelech, well, he's passed away. She's back in town. She's getting all her inf affairs in order, and uh, the land is up for sale, and by our law, someone in the family gets to buy it first. And so you have the first option. Are you going to buy the land? Land in Israel is incredibly valuable. This is the promised land. This is what their whole history has been building towards having this land as their own. And so presented with the opportunity, the guy goes, yeah, of course. Of course I'm going to buy it. You can feel the knot in Boaz's stomach. Ugh. He said yes. Boaz was hoping he would say no. Boaz wants to be the redeemer. But there's more than just the land that comes with redemption. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to, perp in order to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance. He goes... Uh, there's one thing I left out. You also have to marry this Moabite widow. It, you don't get to just swoop in and take the land for yourself. If you're going to be a redeemer, then this is the whole package. You also have to marry his widow and, and continue his family name. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He goes, wait, this Moabite woman is going to be the mother of my children? This Moabite woman is now suddenly grafted into our lineage? Uh, no, Boaz, you go for it. No thanks, I'm 
going to pass. The relative was thrilled to be a redeemer when it meant that he got the land, but now that redeeming the land involves marrying Ruth as well, it's no longer worth it to him. And I think a lot of people would feel this way. I, I think putting in the money and the effort to redeem is worth it for the power and the possessions and the status, but when it involves people, when it involves being tied to a foreign widow forever, becomes a lot more difficult. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So the way they would do it is you would take off your sandal, and you'd go, okay, here's proof that we made a deal. You take my sandal, and I take yours. And then in the future, when someone goes, did you really make that deal with Shane? You go, look, his toe imprints are there. It smells like him. This is Shane's sandal. You know that we made a deal. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses that this, that this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malan. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Boaz goes, okay, I brought 10 elders from the city, 10 respected men with me. You guys are witnesses. We are making this deal. He passed on it, but I am saying yes, and I am redeeming Ruth and Naomi. Your first point is this. Redemption is driven by love for the overlooked. Boaz wants to be a redeemer because of his love for Ruth, not in spite of it. We already know that he's a wealthy landowner. We already know that he owns an entire field and he has all these people in his employment. He doesn't need the land He's doing this because of his love for Ruth. Like we talked about, this story is a metaphor for God's relationship with humanity. Outsiders are not an obligatory addition to God's kingdom. People, outsiders, are loved and desired by God. He doesn't just redeem us to increase his power and status. God doesn't just open up salvation to the Gentiles because he goes, ah, well, it's, it's more people, it's a higher number, it looks more impressive. He loves us and he desires to be in relationship with us. He is willing to forever tie his name and lineage and status to lowly outsiders. This is what a redeemer does. And so if you're reading this and you're, you're an outsider who, who had moved into Israel during the post-exilic period and you're trying to see what does this future look like for me, or maybe you're a Gentile who came in contact with one of these people going, when, what is this God like? Who, how does he view me as an outsider? I've only heard you know, that, that uh, he's not for us, that, that he has his chosen people and I'm not one of them. The story makes it so incredibly clear that God wants to redeem the outsider because of his love. That it's not just about the power and the status and the title and the land, that it's about the love and the relationship. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Epiphrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The elders of the town bless the redemption, and they can tell from Boaz's heart, this isn't about the land. They don't say, oh, may your, your fields be plenty with harvest, and may God make you know, the, the land of Elimelech so bountiful. They know that this is about Ruth, and so their blessing is about Ruth. 
and they mention a couple of the notable women in his family's lineage. They mention Rachel and Leah who were married to Jacob, who would be renamed as Israel, the, the mothers of this nation. But they also mention Tamar. We do not have time to get into the story of Judah and Tamar. And if you know that story, it's very, very strange. If you want to read it, go back and read it in the book of Genesis. But uh, the gist of it is that uh, it is a story of redemption in which Judah is forced to be the redeemer for Tamar. Judah tries to uh, not fulfill his duties as a redeemer, and through a series of very odd circumstances, he ends up marrying Tamar, and she has his children and continues his lineage. And so it's a story of redemption. And so the elders, as they're blessing this union between Boaz and Ruth, they go, hey, this isn't new for your family. Your family is one who is defined by redemption. Judah was the head of this tribe. This, uh, you know, th this is how he would identify himself as a child of the tribe of Judah. And they go, man, your family tree only exists because of redemption. May your marriage to Ruth be like that. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Boaz redeems Ruth and Naomi. He marries Ruth and they have a son in what seems like pretty quick order that, that she gives birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. In chapter one, when Naomi first comes back into town, they go, hey, it's Naomi, she's back. And Naomi's name meant sweet. And she goes, no, don't call me Naomi. I'm Mara now, because Mara meant bitter. And she goes, I'm just a bitter old woman, and God has dealt bitterly with me. And she's very dramatic and over the top. And now in just three chapters, we see a complete reversal where, she, where the women of the town are going, you're back to Naomi. You're back to being sweet and happy again, because God has not forsaken you. We talked about how Naomi thought the story was over. She thought she knew, okay, I'm an old woman my husband has died. My land's going to be sold off. I know what the future holds for me. Ruth, you don't even want to be a part of this sinking ship. I know how this story ends. It ends with me dying as a bitter old widow. But she didn't know what God had planned. And now by the end of the story, the town people are going, God didn't abandon you. God did have a plan for you. God has provided you with a redeemer. And through this incredible relationship with your daughter-in-law, you now have a grandson who is going to restore your life. And she dives into this relationship and she takes care of the child and she becomes his nurse. And I imagine they have this incredible bond because he is the one who restored her life. Your next point is this, redemption changes the ending of the story. Without this redemption, Naomi is right. She dies a bitter old woman. She dies without the future and the hope and the happiness that she thought was coming to her. But because of redemption, she has this completely different life. I, always, I, I like to think about this relationship. Um, when right before I, I was born, my grandma's mother had passed and everyone describes it as she went into shock and she just kind of wasn't herself and very much like this, uh, this character in Naomi, just 
had that, that bitter outlook. And, and when I was born, we had the, just this instant connection. And for my entire life, uh, my grandma and I were inseparable and we had this uh, amazing relationship. So much so that at Corinda, my sister's graduation, she stood up and said, well, everyone knows that Shane's the favorite, but I also love you, Corinda. <laughs> Corinda will dispute the details of that story, but I have it right. <laughs> and I picture it being this relationship between, uh, between Naomi and her grandson, this instant connection, this instant love, this, this she's, the way my grandma described it is that I filled a hole in her heart. And, and I picture it being this way with Naomi, that God has not given up on her. He's redeemed her and he's filled that hole in her heart. Naomi represents the Jews who are returning from exile. This is the darkest period in their history. They're coming back bitter. They're coming back sad. They're coming back having lost their land, having lost the kingship over Israel, having lost all of the hope that they thought their lives and their, their nation's life was going to provide. And they're reading the story going, God, give me something. God, tell me what kind of life I'm coming back to. And they read the story and they get this promise about a baby being born that someone in this lineage is going to redeem them, that someone in this lineage is going to bring them hope, that someone in this lineage is going to change the story, that someone in this lineage is going to become king again. This changes everything. And if the story ended right here, if the story was just about Naomi finding peace and having this restored life because of this connection with her grandson, it would be a great story. But it goes next level with this twist in these final verses. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminabed. Aminabed fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. You read that story in the original context and it's like a sledgehammer. It is the sixth sense where you go, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I got to flip back a couple pages. They didn't have printed Bibles back then. You would ask the rabbi, could you go back and start from chapter one again? Because now that changes everything. This isn't just a story about a heartbroken woman who finds fulfillment. This is a, a, a sneaky origin story of King David, the greatest figure in Israel's history. The greatest figure in Israel's history is descended from a Moabite widow. This is wild. Boaz's act of redemption leads to Israel's greatest king and the greatest period in their nation's history. This is the power of redemption. And the lineage of David produces an even greater king and an even greater redeemer. Matthew 1.1 starts with the genealogy and it goes like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminabad, and Aminabad the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Your last point is this. Redemption is central to the story of Jesus. When Matthew lays out the lineage of Jesus, when he says, let me take you back to the beginning of our nation and tell you how we got here to this Messiah, to the Son of God who has come to seek and save the lost and, and, and establish God's kingdom forever, 
I got to tell you about redemption along the way. I got to include Tamar and Ruth. Any other family tree, if you were writing this family tree, those are the crazy ants that you don't mention, right? The story of Tamar and Judah is not a flattering one. The idea that, that King David comes from a Moabite widow is not flattering. But because they were redeemed, because their stories are ones of redemption, Matthew goes, I got to put their names in the list. He doesn't include the names of every woman in the, in, in the family tree. He uses it sparingly. But Tamar and Ruth make the list because they are so important. Jesus' entire ministry is built around the idea of redemption. His entire lineage is crafted through this process of redemption. And he shows up and his ministry is one built around redemption, built around the idea of him finding the outsider, seeking and serving and saving the lost, reaching out to those who are in need and letting them know that there is hope because of his gospel, because of the life he lives, because of the death he, he, he endures, because of the resurrection that he has, that redemption is possible for everyone, even the outsiders, especially the outsiders. And this is the point of the story. The book of Ruth is a metaphor for God's relationship with humanity. As the people of Israel are searching for hope and outsiders are looking for a place to belong, God reveals that he is a redeemer who loves them and desires to be in a relationship with them. And through this relationship, he is going to provide a son who brings hope and restoration and a kingdom. So what do we do with this? Your first application point. Turn to the redeemer. This is a story about being dependent on the Redeemer. Your application is to rely on Him. So often, we want to provide our own redemption. We want it on our terms. We want to dictate, well, this is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to happen. But this is a story of submission. This is a story uh, of turning to the one who is actually in control, turning to the one who actually has the ability to redeem and allowing Him to be the hero of the story. Your second point is this, acknowledge his faithfulness. I think it is so easy for us to become Naomi. It is so easy for us to go, well, my life is over now. Well, I know how the rest of this story goes. Well, I'm hopeless now because this thing that I thought was going to happen didn't happen. But God is not going to abandon us to this bitter life. God has a plan. Even in the moments of pain, even in the, uh, the, the valleys of life, God has a plan and so acknowledge his faithfulness. Acknowledge that he has not abandoned us. Acknowledge that it's not our fate to just be these bitter people who wither away. And your last point is this. Look at the big picture. We are part of a bigger story of redemption. I've talked about this over and over, but it's so easy for us to go, man, I'm the whole point. Mission accomplished, God. You saved me. Now let's uh, wrap up this earth thing and let's get to heaven. There's a reason that it didn't end with you. Because God has a bigger plan. God's plan is to seek and save everybody. God's plan was not just to save Israel. It was not just to save the, the, the Gentiles of the time. God's plan has spanned thousands of years and billions of lives, and he is building a kingdom of insiders and outsiders and, and all of these different types of people. And so we have a part to play in both receiving the redemption that is offered to us and becoming part of that kingdom, but also in going out and being messengers of that redemption, going to the people who, we, who the rest of society views as outsiders, going to the people that everyone else goes, ah, they're not worthy. They're not worth it. Don't waste your time. Taking the message of hope to those people and going, there is redemption. You can become part of this kingdom. You can become in relationship with God because he loves you 
and wants to be with you. This is the story of Ruth and Naomi. It is one of the most unlikely books in the whole Bible because of the protagonist, because of the journey she goes on, because of the end result that this Moabite widow would be redeemed and grafted into a family of Israel. But the twist ending makes it all the more shocking and important and revealing about the heart of God that not only is this woman just now part of Israel, but she is actually in the lineage of King David. And that story becomes only more shocking as the lineage of King David continues all the way to Jesus. And Matthew tells us, man, it wasn't an accident. The message of Jesus, the story of Jesus, his life centers around redemption. And if we are going to be in relationship with him, we have to experience redemption and we have to go out and be messengers of redemption and let people know that they too can experience this same life transformation and come into relationship with God because he loves them. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that when I was an outsider, when I was an enemy of you, when I was far from you, when I was by every definition of the word unworthy, you chose to love me and redeem me. And God, that's, that says everything about you and nothing about me, Lord. This is who you are. Your heart is redemption. Your heart is love. Your heart is to seek and save the lost. Your heart is to be a good king who is building his kingdom. God, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that your, the full impact of your message of redemption would hit today, Lord. <clears throat> that it is not just of forgiveness, Lord. That alone would be miraculous and worthy of celebrating. But that your redemption is a marriage. Your redemption is a relationship. God, that you not only forgive our sins, but you bring us into relationship with you, that you desire to be in relationship with us. That when everyone else overlooks us and thinks we are unworthy and, and all of that, that you choose to love us and be in relationship with us. Lord, I pray that we would fully appreciate that today. And God, it, as a result of that appreciation of your message, I pray that we would take that out to those around us, Lord, that we would look at the broken and, broken and hurting people around us, that we would see the, the need for redemption in the lives of our, our friends and our family members and our coworkers and our, our classmates and, and everyone else we come in contact with, Lord. God, that our solution wouldn't be for them to work harder or be better, that we would show them that the solution is just to turn to the Redeemer, to submit their life to you, to come into relationship with you because you love them and want to be with them. God, we thank you for the hope that you've brought us, Lord. Thank you that even in the midst of the darkest moments, even in the midst of the valleys, that we know you have not forsaken us, God. We know that you have a plan and that we get to be a part of it, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.